Galatians chapter number 2. And while you're turning there, let me just share a quick story with you. At the age of 95 years old, Rabbi Herschel Schachter died in the Bronx, New York. Now, you probably haven't heard of him, so that name doesn't mean much to most of you. But let me share with you an event that took place um, some, uh, let me think here for a second, uh, some 74 years ago. Patton's Third Army had just liberated Buchenwald concentration camp near Weimar, Germany. One hour after the liberation, Rabbi Schachter was the first Jewish chaplain to enter that concentration camp. And there he found what we now know by newsreels to be a horrifying reality. He saw hundreds of starving men piled in bunks from floor to ceiling. And even though those men had been freed for the space of an hour, they remained in their barracks. Those who had come claiming to be their liberators were in uniform, just as their captors had been in uniform. And so they suspected that these new uniforms just meant new oppression and new abuse for them. Therefore, they wouldn't leave the barracks that liberation had allowed them to be free from. But then Rabbi Schachter spoke to them in their own language, and you'll have to pardon uh, my, my Jewish because I'm not real good on it, but he said, Shalom Aleichem Yidin Itzir free, which means peace be upon you Jews, you are free. The words of freedom from one that knew, they knew to be their own created first a trickle and then a stream of men out of that barracks. And then that stream became a flood as they went from barrack to barrack to barrack with the words, we are free, we are free, we are free. Now I share that story with you because those words are not at all unlike the words of the Apostle Paul from Galatians chapter number 2. Begin reading with me at verse number 15 on your smart app on your phone or in your Bibles if you have them. Paul says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. And yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. What would that mean? Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Jesus, for your freedom that you give to us.
Thank you, Lord, for setting us free from a law, from those laws of, and rules and regulations, Lord, that not one of us could be successful in keeping. But thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that set us free to be instruments of worship. Now be with us in this message this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you some context from which these words were written. The church in Galatia had been gathering under the banner of Jesus Christ, but now there were Jews that were gathering together with the Gentiles in the church in Galatia who together, they've all been freed from trying to please God with their performance, their works, and, and the shackles of, of legalism. But now these Jews are beginning to, to fall back into legalism, again, feeling the pressure to try to make themselves acceptable to God. In other words, the freedom that a relationship with the risen Jesus had, had brought to them was now being abandoned to, to return to the shackles of legalism, the shackles of a, a work-for-God approval system of worship. Now they'd come together in the church. They'd begin to compare their works to one another. And I'm guessing their conversations uh, sounded something like this. Have we done all that we need and should be doing to be acceptable to God. Well, to the Gentiles that were present, these, these Jews who have for so many centuries uh, been part of, of God's people, they felt as if, you know what, these Jews among us, they know so much more about God than we do. They're much more spiritually mature than we are. And as we look at their lives, we just don't measure up. We don't measure up to what they know that God requires. So they begin to feel as if they didn't measure up. They'd never catch up. They'd never overcome their deficiencies. Now, the way that the church was beginning to practice their faith was nothing, becoming nothing more than a new prison for both Jew and Gentile. And to that reality, the Apostle Paul speaks these words of Galatians chapter number 2. He is saying to them, much like the, the, the Germans who, or excuse me, the Jews who were in those concentration camps in Germany, he was saying to them, you are free. You're free. Why would you stay in prison? Why would you go back there if you're free? Now, that's the context from the church of 2,000 years ago in Galatia. And it may seem distant to us, but I'm here to tell you this morning, we still have the same experience in the church of 2019. I mean, look at us. We come together Sunday after Sunday. We hear that Christ has broken the, the shackles of death for us. And yet, we, in it, what we inadvertently often communicate to one another is this. You've got to measure up. There's so much you have to do and, and know before God's really going to accept you. After all, we've been here for years and years in the church, and, and we just have so much more experience at this living for Jesus thing than you do. God help us if we convey that to new converts. Now, we may not say that in so many words, 
but we imply it by the way that we carry ourselves. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're, you're wondering whether or not you'll ever measure up or whether you'll ever catch up with some who have been in the faith much longer than you, but you're still struggling with something inside, and that's where the Apostle Paul, I believe, is saying to you in this passage, no, don't buy into that. You can be united to Christ. You can be a part of a, of a stream that will become a river, that will become a, a, a part of a flood that's uniting people to Him in freedom. And it will be freedom like you've never before experienced. That freedom, friends, begins with eight very unusual words that I believe are the most important verse in this entire passage. Now, it's interesting. We're talking about Bible translations. What I'm getting ready to share with you in some translations is a part of verse number 19. But in the New Living Translation and in most popular translations today, it's found in verse number 20. And it says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul is saying this to us. In order to unite to Christ, you have to unite in his death. And I know those are not pleasant words for any of us to hear. They're horrible words, but the explanation of what they mean is actually found in verse number 19. Paul says there what it means to be crucified with Christ. He says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet its requirements so that I might live for God. So, again, let me set for you the situation. Imagine with me that you're a first century Jew... You've been taught that God has said, I am holy, so therefore you must be holy. You've been taught that the way that you get, to, uh, uh, the way that you get holy is to follow the laws of God. And if you do, you'll find that to be a path of life with God. If you just stay within the parameters of the law, if you just... If you just stay within the boundaries, you'll have life with God. They've been hearing that for hundreds and thousands of years. From the time of Moses up until the time of Jesus, that's the way that the Jews lived. And you say, well, that that don't sound too hard. Well, there's just one little problem. You can't stay on that path. And do you know why? Because the requirements are too much. You see, by the time of Christ, your ancestors have added to the original Ten Commandments some 660 man-made laws. And you can't even remember them, let alone keep them. Now, that's why Paul says in verses 15 and 16... You and I are Jews by birth and sinners like the, not sinners like the Gentiles. And yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. 
And we believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, those are familiar words to those of us who follow Christ here in the 21st century. But for a first century Jew, those were shocking words. In my words, here's what Paul was saying. You're not going to be justified. That is, you're not going to be made right with God by what you do. You're going to be made right by God by faith in what someone else has done, and that someone else is Jesus Christ. Many of us here today have have been taught all of our lives that we have to, to keep the traditions, that we have to obey God, that we have to keep the Ten Commandments, and, and we do have to do those things. I mean, but that's not what makes us right with God. Paul is saying that's not what's going to make you right with God because if you were a real Jew, you would understand that no one has kept his law perfectly. And that means you've got to look for your being made right with God through some other means other than obeying the law. After all, what you do is not the heart of what counts in making you acceptable to God. Now, again, you're imagining with me that you're a first century Jew. That is a, an extremely radical thought for a first century Jew to have to, to digest this idea of what I do doesn't make me right with God. Really? Now, we might compare that if we pulled it into our day today to one of those, one of those predictable movies about somebody who wakes up one day and, and says something to their spouse before they get out of bed and their spouse doesn't even hear or acknowledge what they've said to them. And so they, the person who's speaking to their spouse says, hey, and begins to wave their hands and jump and yell and say, I'm talking to you. And there's no recognition, no acknowledging of what the person is saying. And they begin to think, oh, no, I must be dead. I mean, nothing seems to affect the situation, so it doesn't count. They're not hearing me. I've died. Now, that's precisely what the Apostle Paul is saying. And all, if all of your doing and all of your striving and all of your being is not what makes you right with God, you might as well be dead. In fact, Paul says something far more blunt than even that. He says, if all of my doing... And all of my being is not what makes me right with God. I'm crucified. With Christ there are nails in my hands, thorns in my bro- on my brow, and there's my mother. She's weeping for me. There's, there's blood that pools at my feet, but it's not the blood of someone else. It's my own. I am crucified with Christ. Now that's kind of shocking, isn't it? It's a horrible image. But as horrible as that that thought is, it's the cure. We have to be crucified with Christ. What has to be crucified? First of all, spiritual pride. Spiritual pride 
and then spiritual despair. If I am united to the death of Christ, if I am crucified with Christ, as Paul says, what that means is that my achievements, my ability to keep the law, my ability to follow the rules, those are no longer the things that characterize me. If you're dead, your achievements do not characterize you at all. Why? Because dead people don't get good report cards. Dead people don't get sports trophies. Dead people don't get certificates of merit. Why? Because they're dead. Being dead is the cure for spiritual pride. In the same way, it's also the cure for spiritual despair. Dead people don't get demerits. Dead people don't get traffic tickets. Dead people don't get in trouble. Why? They're dead. So our good works or our bad works no longer distinguish us. Our failures don't destroy us. If we're dead, then what's true of us doesn't condemn us any longer, right? So whenever we're around people, we recognize that there are things in our lives, things in our hearts that are troubling, and they cause us to think, you know what, if God really held me accountable, or if other people really knew, I have no chance of being made right with God. And we feel condemnation, we feel guilt. But what if, what if you really believe that being united to Christ that your being, that your doing is not what makes you right before God, and that that's not what counts on the final ledger. What if you believe that what really counts is that you are dead? Dead to sin. Now, as you probably have figured out now, what I'm talking about today is our identity in Christ. Who we are in Christ Jesus Not what we've done, not what we haven't done, but who we are as a result of uniting with Christ in his death. Here's what difference that makes. We would be able to say there are things in my life, yes, that I'm ashamed of, but they are nailed to his cross and they are dead. How many of you like that idea? Your sins are nailed to the cross and they no longer live to hold you in their grip. There may be even people you come in contact with, whether at church or elsewhere, that bring to your heart and mind a sense of shame for things that you've done in your past. Oh, baby, I should ask, how many of you have one of those? A past? You're getting it. Every one of us do. We, we carry guilt. We carry shame as we talked about last week. But if you truly believe that your sin was dead, joy would replace all of that. Now how many of you are interested in that? Several of you. The idea that it can actually be put aside, nailed to the cross of Christ, and erased from your count forever. Again, wouldn't that be wonderful? 
Well, it can, and it has. And friends, you need to understand this morning, I'm just not talking about some, some person out there that I'm speaking of in, 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 in third past tense language, or, or, or third tense if you want. I'm talking about me. You see, I've not always been Pastor Terry. Why? Because I have one of those pasts. There was a time in my life when I put everything that was near and dear to me at great risk. For what, you might ask? For that part of me that wanted to fit in with the in crowd. That crowd that wasn't a part of my church upbringing, that crowd that didn't try to manipulate me into doing what was expected of me, that crowd that just loved me for who I was and not what I could do for them. And in doing the things that made me a part of that in crowd, let me tell you what the result was. I placed my marriage at risk. I placed my relationship with my kids at risk. I placed my relationships with my parents, my brother, and my sister at risk. I placed my livelihood, the farm that I owned and operated, I placed all of that at risk for a period of nearly eight years of my adult life. I did things. And I became a person that placed, most importantly, my relationship with God and ultimately my very life at risk. Even to this day, I struggle when I go back to Garden City where I grew up without feeling the shame and thinking to myself, who was that guy? was that guy that for a desire to be with the in crowd was willing to put at risk everything that was near and dear to him. I don't even recognize that guy. And I feel that guilt and shame until I realize this. You know what it is? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is now well with my soul because of that realization. And and I'm guessing I'm not the only one that deals with that from time to time. We need to understand that our sin was nailed to the cross of Christ. That it is gone. That whatever that past that you finally confessed to is gone. It's been cast into the sea of forgetfulness in the annals of God, never to be remembered against any one of us ever again. It's gone. Now, friends, let me just ask you this question. Isn't it great to be dead? To recognize that we are united in death to Christ, and all that is true of us that brings us shame and hurt and heartache and guilt, it is all 
gone. That's the blessing that Paul's talking about of being crucified with Christ. But even that's not the end of the story. Because verse 20 started with the words, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's not the end of the story. Someone lives. Who is it? It is Christ. And where does he live? He lives in me. So I'm not just united to the death of Christ. Paul is saying I am at the same moment united to the life of Christ. Now, if you feel that spiritual reality has trouble at times penetrating into your daily reality of living, and you find yourself asking the question, what difference does that make? Well, here, let me give you an answer. And you need to listen carefully to this, okay? This isn't a hard question, but it's going to make you a little bit make you a little bit squeamish. Might make you struggle a bit. Here it is. If you're dead and Jesus isn't alive in you, who are you? Now you have to understand that what I'm getting at is something that we're going to be talking a lot about during this upcoming Easter season. You know why? Because no one wants to say, I'm Jesus, just in the days leading up to Easter. Are you with me? So let me rephrase the question and make it a little easier for you. If you're dead, but Jesus is alive in you, whose identity do you now have? Yours? Or Christ's? This is where the answer gets good. Because it actually begins to change how you read this passage of Scripture when you understand that it is more than just saying, I have the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. It's better than that. It's actually saying that His identity has been put in your place because you are dead. That's why the same apostle can say the words of Philippians chapter 1 verse number 21. He says, therefore to me, living means living for Christ. He says it again in Colossians chapter 3 verse number 4. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Friends, someone has put himself in our place and someone's identity has now become our identity. And while our sin is dead, our identity is covered, there's an other identity in our place and that identity is Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, that's a miracle. It, it's something spiritual. We don't have math to... To explain that, we don't have science to explain it, but the spiritual reality, friends, is this. Jesus Christ's life now lives in your place, and all that is true of him has now been credited to you. Well, that drew an amazing silence. All, <laughs> let me say that again. Are you kidding me? All that... All that you are is Christ. 
You want very practical terms? You want me to explain it? I'll, I'll explain it to you. Imagine that you're on a mountaintop in northern Israel and someone is speaking to you and they say, look at the birds. They don't plant, they don't harvest or, or store food in barns for their heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more, far more valuable to him than they are? And the truth of that message from Jesus is now yours. He is going to take care of you. He's going to feed you. He's going to clothe you in his righteousness because you now are his. He lives in you. Or imagine that you see a widow coming down the road in a funeral procession and the one in the casket is her only son. And as they get close, you reach out and touch the casket and that boy raises to life and you give him back to his mother. The compassion of that act is now in you. Are you with me? Let me give you one more example. You're in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil comes and begins to tempt you. And, and, and uh, with all the power and pleasures of this world that he can offer, he's, he's wanting to give those to you. And you watch and you begin to resist him by quoting to him the word of God. And the righteousness of seeing him depart from you is now your spiritual victory. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Do you understand that? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's exactly what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 18 through 24. Let's, let's go there right quick, if I can get these pages to cooperate. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. This is too good to pass up. Okay, listen, listen to the beginning with verse number 18. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to, foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs for heaven, from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. God is saying to us, Christ has become our wisdom from God. He has become our holiness. He has become our righteousness. So therefore, it's no longer necessary for you to keep this arbitrary list of rules and regulations because Christ has become your righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. When he took your sin... He gave you his righteousness in exchange. Now, if you're going to have somebody's righteousness, I'd put Jesus Christ at the top of that list, right? He has given you and I his righteousness in exchange for our sin. 
Why? Because we earned it? No. Because we're dead. We're dead to sin. Christ lives in us. The risen Jesus is now mine. His life is mine. He's not in a tomb somewhere. He's not even in some far off heaven somewhere. His life by his spirit now dwells in me and gives me an identity that is not my own. Now what does that mean? That means that when God records who we are, he sees only his begotten son in our place. Filled with his wisdom, filled with his holiness, completely filled with his righteousness, which again, he gave me in exchange for my sin. I've said it before, I'll say it here. The greatest crisis in the church in America today is understanding who we are in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We need to start living like it. That means the greater things that he has done, we shall do greater things. Why? Because he has gone to the Father and he has sent to us his Holy Spirit who lives in us and is waiting to work through us. Let me illustrate it in this way. There are in this room a number of us who, like myself, are old enough to remember when we didn't pump our own gas at a filling station. Hello? These kids don't have any idea what I'm talking about. There was a time when those same individuals like myself had to go inside the station to pay for our gas. We actually had to go in and take out our wallet and pay a cashier or the station attendant for the gas that he had just pumped into our car. Kids, you might want to be in on this. They used to wash our windshields. They used to check our oil. Don't get ahead of me, Doug. I'm I'm using this for effect. They used to check our oil. They used to see if we had enough water in our windshield washing system, and they would give it to us. It was called, are you ready for this? A full service station. (laughs) Now, you might have noticed, you go to a filling station to fill up with gas these days, very few of them, actually have a station manager that will come out and have you roll down your window and ask you what you would like for him to do. If you'd like regular or ethyl. Boy, I haven't said that word for a long time. Again, the kids have no idea what I'm talking about. Been a while. We don't have that manager pump our gas for us anymore. We just most often pay at the pump by swiping a card, and we never actually deal with a living human being, right? Well, guess what? I actually discovered something even better than that. I don't even have to go to the gas station anymore. I figured out that when my grandsons were from California were here this last Christmas, all I had to do 
was send my grandsons from California down to the filling station at 54 and, and, and Kansas Avenue. And they could take care of all of that for me. How did they do it? Well, they didn't have to pay for it. Here's what happened. I gave them my credit card. And along with it, my identity to pay for the gas that they were getting for me. Are you with me? In other words, they were taking my riches, such as they are, as if my riches belonged to them. What was mine, I had entrusted to them, and it literally became theirs because they were using my riches to get their gas for me. To get my gas for me. And at that moment, they were using my credit as their credit. Not because they had earned it, and not because it was eventually going to become their credit, but because, are you ready for this? What is mine has been given to them in that moment for that purpose. Jesus is saying that exact thing to each and every one of us. What is mine has been given to you for this purpose to bring glory and honor to me. To do the things that I need you to do while you're yet here. I'm giving you my righteousness to accomplish what I need you to do. Now that, that probably should even get an amen in a Presbyterian church somewhere. Friends, we need to understand who we are in Christ. What he's made available to us. This passage in Galatians chapter number 2 is telling us that because we're dead and the identity of Jesus Christ has become ours, what is true of him has been credited to you and me so that we can be profoundly loved, powerfully changed in ways that challenge even our wildest imaginations. And just before I close, let me say this. The story doesn't even end there. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but someone, speaking of Christ, lives. Where does he live? In me. What that means, again, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. How many of you believe that took a little bit of power? Now lives in us. We've been transformed spiritually. There's a reality of spiritual transformation that is here now, is present, and is in the process of changing each and every one of us to become more and more like Jesus. You know, friends, let me just talk to you from my heart for just a minute. There are times when many of us Listen to the lies that Satan tries to tell us. He'll tell us things like when we do something stupid and, and sin against God, he'll say to us, oh, you can't help it. You can't be changed. You can't, you can't be fixed. That's just who you are. 
And God, by His Spirit, is whispering in our other ear, that is a lie. Why? Because greater is He that lives in me than He that lives in the world. You see, we, we, we often listen to Him and we don't fight back against the enemy and take an active stand to resist Him with the Word of God. We just let Him beat us up and, and, and push us down and make us feel lower than an ant's belly. And then we begin to carry that with us. And God all the while is saying, no, that he's lying to you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you'll take an active step to resist the devil, he will flee from you. There's a reality of Jesus Christ, friends, that's not visible to the world. And people can't accept it until they begin to say, I'm no longer going to put my faith in my power, my strength, and my doing. I'm going to put my faith and my confidence and my trust in Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. Because he now lives in me. And when that happens, there is a power of the resurrection of Jesus that comes in and begins to dwell in us so that we can find hope. We find ourselves free from the fear of being rejected because we're profoundly loved, but we are free from the power of sin as well because of the indirect indwelling of the resurrected Jesus who lives in us by His Spirit. We are free. We're free from guilt. We're free from that shame that I talked about last week. We're free from the power of sin. And it can happen to each and every one of us by the exercise of our faith that says, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart those things. Therefore, on the authority of God's word, that makes me saved. And your sins, which were many, are nailed to the cross. You carry them no more. And you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Worship team, would you come please? We're free. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your history is. But for me, that freedom changed everything. That freedom changed everything. You see, when you've, been grow- when you've grown up being taught that every time you had a bad thought... Or every time you hit the wrong nail and, and responded with something less than godly. <laughs> that Jesus took his eraser and rubbed your name out of the Lamb's book of life. I couldn't live that way any longer. I, I, I just wasn't good enough to keep all the rules. Follow all the regulations. But when I found out that my sins were dead, at the moment Jesus saved me, my sins were dead. 
My sins, which were many, were gone. And that there was nothing that I could ever do to make Jesus love me more or nothing I could ever do to make Jesus love me less. A sense of freedom came over me that brought a peace that I can't explain, that brought joy unspeakable, that allowed me to start loving me. Because you see, I hated the me that never could keep the rules. I was always so disappointed in myself because I couldn't measure up. You talk about being set free. Jesus set me free. Now, you smart folks, you may have already known that. But it took me 28 years of my life to figure that out. Today, I'm free. I'm free to love. I'm free to live. Jesus has set me free, and he whom the Son sets free is free. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor, I want that freedom. That's my invitation today. I want that freedom. Just raise your hand. I want that kind of freedom. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else anywhere? Pastor, I want that freedom. I see that hand. Thank you. Dear Jesus, more importantly than me seeing these hands, you have seen them. And even more than seeing their hands, you see their hearts. And you see that it was out of what you're speaking into their heart that brought them to the place of having confidence to raise their hand. Holy Spirit, I want you to serve notice on the enemy of our souls this morning. That he is a defeated foe. He can no longer hold us in guilt, in condemnation. He can no longer bring shame upon us because of our past. Because at the very moment here in just a second when we ask Jesus to take all of that past and cast it into that sea of forgetfulness. My sin at that moment, my sins are going to be effectively dead. Therefore, he no longer can lie to me. He can no longer make me feel guilty. He can no longer make me be content with just living a mundane, dull, boring life for Jesus. Because Christ now lives in me. You're here this morning, you raise that hand. I want you to, you can say it audibly or you can say it to yourself, however you want to do it. Just say these words, Dear Jesus, this morning, I am taking a step. of asking you to be my Lord and Savior. I confess my sins, which are many. I ask you to forgive them 
I ask you to toss them into the sea of forgetfulness so that no one can ever remind me of them again. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. They're gone. They are gone by the profession of your faith in praying that prayer. Stand to your feet with me.